One, two. All right, if you could make your way to your seats, that would be great. Thank you. Wow, that was quick. Normally, it takes like five minutes for me to get you guys back to your seat. Right? This week was impressive. Keep that up. All right, um, if you're new, my name's Obed. I'm one of the leaders here. Um, and again, thank you for dedicating this part of your Sunday to gathering with us um, as a church. As you've heard multiple times, we're a church family on mission with Jesus. Um, and that's our passion. That's our goal. Um, and we are confident as a result of you gathering with us this morning, um, you will be exposed to God through um, his truth and who he is. Um, in, um, we've been in a study based on the book or the letter of Galatians, and this week we continue in Galatians. After this week, I think we've got two or three more weeks, and then we've got Easter, Palm Sunday, Easter, and then um, afterwards we're going to probably do an Old Testament um, book. We have an idea of what it is, but I don't want to announce it in case we change our mind. <laughs> I've done it before. <laughs> um, so turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And this week we're going to be looking at verses 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 of Galatians chapter 6. Um, as we always do, we love God's Word. We view it as sufficient and our authority, and one of the ways we honor it is by standing for the reading of it. And so if you could do that, that would be great. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 reads, Let the one who is taught the word Share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the living God. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and your truth, and thank you for your spirit. And so this morning, as we explore more of how your spirit is at work in us and through us, may you do what only you can do, and that is to cause us to grow in our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Have you ever thought about how Christianity is filled with beliefs that are as fascinating as they are profound. Think about it. Christians believe that a Jewish carpenter who lived like 2,000 years ago 
wasn't just a man. Christians hold that Jesus Christ was actually God, God wrapped in human flesh, and that he lived a sinless life, died on a Roman cross, and then resurrected after three days. And now Christians believe that Jesus, this same Jesus, is ruling um, from his throne and he is waiting, preparing for the day where he'll come back and reign over the very world he created. It's fascinating when you think about what we believe as Christians. This is one of many truths, this is one of many realities we believe as Christians. And just some other examples. The idea of um, one God existing in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is another unique belief Christianity holds. And one of the most intriguing, and let's be honest, one of the most complex beliefs of Christianity revolves around the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Depends on where you're coming from. Think about this. Christians believe that the Holy Spirit isn't just any spirit, but he's God's spirit who begins to dwell within believers the moment that they are saved. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit empowers Christians, gives them strength, wisdom, and courage to live out the life God has called them to live. When you think about the Holy Spirit, it comes, he brings up so many questions, and there's so many mysteries attached. And so over the past three weeks, this is what we've been doing. We've been diving deep, not just into who the Holy Spirit is, but really getting into how he moves and works within the lives of those who believe. And I would say it's been an eye-opening study because we've unpacked so much of who he is. And the more we explore and understand about the Holy Spirit, the more questions I have, and I'm sure the more questions you have. Last week, we answered the question, um, what does it look like when we live by the Spirit in the context of a church family? We found out that living by the Spirit is not just about experiencing signs and wonders or exercising spiritual gifts, but we discovered that to live by the Spirit um, actually involves a real practical love for other people. We found out that to live by the Spirit as a church family is to avoid 
destructive attitudes, restore others with gentleness, bear one another's burdens, and embrace personal responsibility and humility. And so this week, what we're going to do is continue our exploration of who the Holy Spirit is and how He works in our lives. And so if you're making notes, um, here's the first one. To live by the Spirit is to support church leaders. <laughs> it's to support church leaders. I know. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let's read it again. It says, um, Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. First, the one who is taught the Word is a Christian. Um, let's just say it's a member of a local church. And this makes sense because the word that is being taught right here in this verse is the word of God, it's scripture. And those who have been taught the word are expected to do what? Says it in the verse. You can talk back to me. What does it say? Share all good things with the one who teaches. The one who teaches are leaders of the church, are pastors. Um, who faithfully teach the Word of God. And all, all good things, all good things in this verse signifies practical support, um, which of course includes financial support. In other words, members of a local church are expected to provide for the financial needs of the leaders of their church. And so, as you can imagine, I feel really uncomfortable right now. It's just the weirdest thing, isn't it? Talking about money, especially in the context of any church, is a touchy subject. And that has to do um, with, unfortunately, the abuse um, of certain churches and leaders um, who have abused their position um, for their own benefit. And so I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I really do. But we have to talk about it because it's here. And so here's the thing. Supporting leaders of your local church, especially those who preach and teach, is not just a nice thing to do, but it's a biblical principle. For example, let me give you some examples of where this also appears in the Bible. Um, before Jesus sent out his disciples for gospel ministry, he said to them, and look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, Jesus says to them, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Paul, in his letters, also echoed um, this sentiment. He emphasized that those who preach the gospel should receive support from the church. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Let the elders, as church leaders, pastors who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. What is this saying? 
This is saying that you should pay me so well, I can afford a Ferrari. No, I'm not. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Basically, this is saying, this is what is this? This is so awkward. Um, <laughs> members of a local church are expected to provide financially for their leaders. And so the question is why? Why should you, if you're a member of this church, provide? for the practical needs of leaders like myself. First of all, so that we can be devoted to ministry. Um, the world we're in is very complex, and pastors and teachers need time. Um, we need time to study. We need time to meet and disciple and pray and so that we can serve and care for members of the church. And so church should support leaders financially so that they can be devoted to preaching and teaching the Word of God. The next reason why you should, as a church member, support your um, leaders is because it's for your own benefit. It's for your own benefit. When members of the church support leaders financially, they're actually investing in their own spiritual growth. If you're here and you're a Christian, it's for your benefit to provide financially for the teaching ministry of your local church. Todd Wilson, who's a pastor and author, says this. They, that is church members, stand to benefit immensely, immeasurably, eternally, even by sharing their financial resources with their local churches so that their local churches can be all the more, um, that's not up there, um, all the more active in sharing the Word of God. In other words, believers should pay their pastor and provide financially for their local church. This is for their own benefit. And this offer really um, hits home, doesn't he? Because by supporting your local church, Christian, you are not just doing good, you're doing something that benefits you spiritually, both now and eternally. And so King's Cross Church, this is what we're being called to do. We are being called to consider, seriously consider sharing and and doing good by practically providing for your church leadership. And as I was, you know, reflecting on this this week, and it came up, and I was like, oh my God, I have to stand up here and talk about how, you know, the church has to give to leaders. I really wasn't, I started to just think about how, when I think about King's Cross Church, um, just our church has been incredibly generous, um, really generous. Um, I was reminded of the fact that you all have lived out Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, in such profound ways. And as one of your pastors, I've been on the receiving end of your incredible kindness and generosity. I really have. 
And so from offering babysitting, you know, we've had so many people that offer to babysit our cute kids. Um, it's been awesome. Um, from giving us gift cards, Eleanor and I, for date nights um, to lovely fancy restaurants. And we've had time when people have just surrounded us and prayed for us. And so when I'm talking about giving and sharing good things, I'm not just talking financially, which definitely is the emphasis is here, but I'm just talking about spiritually, um, how our church family has been a huge support, not just for me, but Dan and all the other leaders. Your generosity has touched our lives in countless ways. It has truly provided a foundation of support that has allowed us to fully dedicate ourselves to serving the Lord. And so, on behalf of our leadership, at King's Cross Church, from the bottom of our hearts, I want to say thank you, King's Cross. Thank you. You can clap for yourself. <laughs> thank you for setting a remarkable example of what it means to support and uplift your leaders. And so that was the first one. We're done with that. I can move on now. Um, to live by the Spirit is not only to support church leaders, but next, to invest in the Spirit. To invest in the Spirit. And look at verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The Apostle Paul, who's the writer of this letter to a church in Galatia, immediately follows the idea of supporting church leaders with a stern warning. And that warning is clear. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The word for deceived means to be led astray or wander off a path. Imagine someone who is trying to mislead you, like one of those sly salesperson who's pushing a product on you that you don't need. That's the kind of deception Paul warns against. And so, what are we being warned about as Christians? What should we be vigilant to avoid? Look at verse 7 again. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The Greek word translated as mocked literally means to turn up the nose at someone or to scorn them. It's a vivid image of disdain or contempt. And so the next question we have to ask is, why should we not be deceived into thinking we can mock God? Look at verse 7 again. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. This saying is very similar to most of you. You reap what you sow. Some have called this famous saying the law of great returns. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked is another way of saying 
that it's foolish to think we can fool God with our outward appearances or attempt to hide our true intentions. And the reason we can never fool God is that God knows everything. He knows and sees everything. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows where you're going to be in five years, ten years' time. God knows everything about you. And so it's foolish, futile, unnecessary to think that you can actually fool God or mock him. Reaping what we sow is about the natural law of cause and effect. Just like planting seeds and reaping their harvest, our actions have consequences both positive and negative. And so this verse is a reminder that God knows our true intentions and our actions, and we will see the results of those actions in our lives, whether they are good or bad. In other words, we reap what we sow, our actions lead to outcomes that reflect those actions. Our actions have consequences, (laughs) and we cannot outwit God's justice or grace. And so the question we have to now ask ourselves is, what kind of seeds have you been planting and sowing in your life? To understand this better, look at verse 8 of chapter 6. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. With these words, the Apostle Paul applies the principle of sowing and reaping in a deeper spiritual way. Sowing to the flesh, he says, leads to what? Corruption. But sowing to the Spirit leads to what? Eternal life. What does this all mean? What does it look like to sow to the flesh and to sow to the Spirit? What does corruption mean? What does eternal life mean? Let's explore these questions. All right. First, to sow literally means scattering seed. All right, if you're into gardening or anything like that, you grab a seed and you sow it into the soil. But in this context, and in the New Testament, to sow is often used metaphorically to describe the act of planting actions, behaviors, or attitudes that will one day produce a certain kind of result or harvest in a person's life. 
To sow basically means to invest. It's the figurative meaning of investing um, our energy, desires, and actions into something. Next question. What does it then mean to invest our energies and desires and actions into our flesh or the spirit? Let's begin with the spirit. In the Bible, the word flesh doesn't always refer to the skin or surface of the human body. In fact, the word flesh in the Bible often refers to the sinful nature of human beings. Flesh is often a metaphor, a metaphor for our inclination towards selfishness, immorality, and other behaviors that go against God's will. Back in chapter 5, if you remember a few weeks ago, um, we looked at a list of 15 behaviors and attitudes that stem from the flesh. In other words, if you want to know, um, these are just examples of how actions and attitudes that come or rooted in the flesh. Um, look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This is a list of some of the outcomes of sowing to the flesh. When someone sows to the flesh, they are essentially living a life under the influence of their flesh. It's actions that feed our sinful tendencies rather than our spiritual well-being. It's about living, so into the flesh is about living for worldly pleasures or material gains at the expense of spiritual growth and obedience to God. And we're warned at the beginning of verse 8, that if we sow to the flesh, we will from the flesh reap corruption. The word corruption comes from a Greek word that refers to um, decay or destruction. In this verse, it signifies a decay or a move towards a state of ruin that is both moral and spiritual. When we live according to the flesh, or when we sow to the flesh, we're essentially moving away from what God wants for us and instead moving towards moral or spiritual decay. And moral or spiritual decay or ruin might look like broken relationships or a sense of emptiness despite having material wealth or even physical and mental health issues um, come from uh, kind of examples of this corruption and destruction that we experience when we sow to the flesh. 
This is a stark reminder that our choices have consequences. And if we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. This is the reality. Many of the challenges we face can be traced back to the seeds we've sown in the realm of our own desires. Or in other words, let me put it, let me make it crystal clear, the consequences we are experiencing and the troubles in life we are having to endure are the harvest of having sown to the flesh. Whenever we make choices based on our immediate desires, our impulses, or our fleshly desires, as Galatians 6, 8 describes, we are planting seeds that are likely to grow into trouble and challenges. Believe it or not, if you are living under the influence of the flesh, if you are living a life and making choices that are contrary to how God wants you to live, you will experience and have to endure consequences. I am living with so many issues, all right? I have issues, believe it or not. And I am having to live with some of these issues I have because of past mistakes and past choices I've made. That's the reality. We reap what we sow. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Sow a thought, and you reap an action. Sow an act, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. And so as we are reminded of some of these hard truths. I know many of you may be feeling hopeless and challenged. And so the question is, is there hope for us? How can we avoid sowing to the flesh? And if we have sown to the flesh, is there hope? There absolutely is. Look at verse 8 of chapter 6 again. Let's discover this hope. It says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. In other words, how we can avoid sowing to the flesh is to instead invest our actions, thoughts, and energies into things that align with God's will and commands. And this is fascinating 
because the focus here is not just on what we need to avoid, but the focus here is also what we need to embrace and what we need to embrace as humans who daily have to wrestle with our flesh. What we have to embrace is to actually sow to the Spirit. And to sow to the Spirit... It's the same as walking by the Spirit or living by the Spirit or being led by the Spirit. If you've been with us throughout Galatians, you've heard these phrases. And so uh, to sow to the Spirit is another way of saying how to live by the Spirit or be led by the Spirit. And when the Spirit is at work in our lives, we will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Our lives will be marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so, whoever you are, wherever you are, um, what troubles and sufferings you are having to endure and cope with in your life because of past decisions and mistakes, know that by God's grace in Christ alone through the Spirit which dwells in you, you can begin to live the life God has called you to live. And so every day, you are faced with decisions that sow to your flesh or to the Spirit. Every day. What you watch, what you listen to, the environments you go. Every day we are faced with choices. And so the question is, how are you going to respond? How are you investing in your life? Are you living for the momentary pleasures of the flesh? Or are you investing in your spiritual growth? John Stott um, the great British preacher said, Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what we sow. And so to live by the Spirit not only means to support your leaders and to invest in the Spirit. Lastly, to live by the Spirit also means to prioritize your church. Prioritize your church. Um, look at verse 9 of chapter 6. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so after discussing the principle of sowing and reaping, Paul encourages us not to lose heart not to be weary in doing good. The Greek word for weary implies losing heart or giving up. The phrase do good refers to everything we're called to as Christians. And so here, we are being reminded to not lose heart or grow discouraged in our pursuit of good despite the challenges and delays in seeing the results. And we absolutely need this reminder, don't we? I needed to hear this, especially this week. I needed to be reminded not to grow weary in doing good. 
I really did. This has been a week where, as a, as a pastor and as a leader of the church, you are investing and pouring into people. And I was just challenged that, man, there are some times when you're just going to like love and care and give your all in order to serve people and then come to realize that people don't appreciate it. Some people don't appreciate it and they just take it for granted. And because of that experience, my wife and I were like, like you kind of you kind of get to the point where like where you're like, what's the point of doing good? We're just gonna live our lives and do bad, <laughs> you know? Whatever. And I just needed to hear that. I needed to be reminded to keep loving and serving people even though they may not appreciate and take it for granted. And for some of you, and many of you, you need to hear this encouragement to not grow weary in living the life God has called you to. For some of you, not growing weary and doing good can mean continuing to pray for and share the gospel with your loved ones and your neighbors, even though they have not responded well. Now, many of you can relate to that. Some of you, um, not growing weary and doing good can mean supporting and encouraging others who are going through tough, tough times, even when you might be facing your own struggles. Forgiving those who have wronged you as an act of grace that mirrors the forgiveness we've received in Christ is another way you can keep doing good. Continuing to live out your faith authentically in your workplace or your college, even when it feels like you're swimming against the current of popular opinion or peer pressure, is another way some of you can continue to do good without being weary. Actively participating in church life and ministries, even when you feel like your contribution are small or unnoticed. For married couples, not growing weary and doing good can mean prioritizing date nights or quality time together despite the busyness of life. And if you're here and you're single, it can mean continuing to pursue purity and spiritual growth even when it feels lonely or challenging. And parents, it can be about consistently instructing and discipling your children with love and patience even when it's exhausting and repetitive. My brothers and sisters in Christ, do not grow weary in doing good. <laughs> and so the question is, what will help? What will help? What will motivate us to not give up in doing good? It's there. It, it, we must keep our eyes fixed on the future 
and that is God's end time harvest. This is what the phrase in due season, um, you see it in verse 9, in due season. Um, this is what it's referring to. It's a reminder that the fruition of our efforts lies in God's appointed time. And God's appointed time is always perfect. And so, my brothers and sisters in Christ, may you continue to do God's will. May you continue to make decisions that glorify God. May you continue to share the gospel with the people you love. May you continue to pray and dedicate yourself to Bible reading, to the local church, and dedicate yourself to all of these, knowing that at the appointed time, God will bring about the harvest. Be encouraged, Christian. Look at verse 10 of chapter 6. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. We've discussed that. And here's something different. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. While we're called to do good to everyone, there's a special emphasis on those who are of the household of faith. And so if you are here and you are a Christian, this highlights the importance of supporting and uplifting your spiritual family, the church. So why should you put the local church at the top of your priority list when it comes to doing good. This is why. This is why. The local church isn't just any gathering or institution. Think about it. Your local church is your household of faith. In other words, your local church is your spiritual family where you find your identity. Your local church is a place that is packed with support, nourishment, learning, and growth. Your local church provides and has provided a community that has stood with you through some of the toughest times. Your brothers and sisters in faith it's where your spiritual home truly lies. The local church is like no other institution. It really is not. If you think about it, Jesus doesn't claim any other institution as his own like he does the church. It's the only place where God chooses to dwell and where the Holy Spirit is at work. The history of the church is unmatched. It traces back to the very beginning of time and its future stretches into eternity. The church is an incredible institution. It's the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ. And it's where God's people come together to experience God in the most mind-blowing and marvelous ways. The local church is your family, and we are being called to prioritize supporting and investing and caring for the people of our church. Can 
can I get an amen for that? My goodness, it's there. It's there. And so, practically speaking, what does all of this mean? As you give your time, your talent, and your money, you must begin with your local church. A lot of the time, we like to take care of all those practical things, rent, whatever, but I think this and so many other passages throughout Scripture is telling us to first consider how we can give and be generous to our local church. Church isn't just another institution. It deserves a special place in your heart and your life because at the end of the day, it's your family. It's the household of faith. Um, Todd Wilson says this, and the church is a one-of-a-kind institution. It ought to have first place in our affections and a pride of place among all the other concerns and commitments in our lives. After all, the church is our family. It is a household of faith. And so, Christian, I encourage you to give the church the love and support she deserves. And so the question I want you to really think about this week is how can you intentionally do good to your church? What are some of the ways, and I know some of you are doing that and prioritizing it, continuing that, do not grow weary in serving and caring for your church. And so what are some of the ways you can get involved in your local church beyond just attending services and community group? How can you do good to your church? For some of you, it means stop gossiping and stop talking negatively about your church. If you have an issue with someone, go to them and talk to them about it rather than talking about them behind their back. That's one way you can do good. So many ways to apply it. And so this morning, we've discovered that to live by the Spirit is supporting our leaders. This isn't just a duty, it's a reflection of Christ's support for us. We're to invest in the Spirit, meaning we're to plant seeds of faith, hope, and love that Jesus first sowed in our hearts. We're to prioritize our church. And as we do, we are following in Jesus' footsteps, aren't we? Who considered his church worth dying for. Remember, in every act of kindness, every moment of support, and every investment in our spiritual family, we are reflecting Jesus Christ. And this is one of the most beautiful and rewarding ways we can actually live by the Spirit. Let's pray. And so, God, it's all about you. And God, we are incredibly thankful that you have not left us to ourselves, but you have provided your Spirit that inspires us and even gives us a desire for us to live 
the life you've called us to live. And so this morning, as we've explored these truths, I pray that beyond, much beyond everything I've said, God, you would absolutely bring about your will and your purposes in, in all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so this time we're going to transition to we don't want you to quickly leave. We have explored um, a lot of truths and concepts this morning. And one of the ways we like to help um, you really just soak deeper and understand this more is this time we're going to enter into. And it's a slightly longer set of musical worship. But during this time, we're going to have um, some elements, some things that can really help you engage God more and dive deeper into what we've talked about. Um, the first is the Lord's Supper, communion. Um, as we transition to a time of communion, we're to remember that this sacred practice is the ultimate symbol of living by the Spirit because as Christians, we are called to be Christ-like. Um, it's here in the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup that we remember Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. Um, the bread represents his body given for us. The cup is blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as we participate in communion, we are remembering Christ and all that he's done for us. Also, during this time, we have men and women who are available to pray for you and with you about anything you want. Let me remind you that if anything you share with them is confidential, all right? You can go and you can invite them to pray for you about anything. Also, you can be praying. You have the time right now. The time we're about to enter into is about 10 minutes. I can't remember how long. You are not going to get this time back. And so as you've been exposed to God's word, you can sit in silence and reflect more on the passage. Um, if you are here with friends or um, your spouse, you can pray with them right now. And pray for someone um, let's use this time. Also, you can stand and sing. This is a space that we want to create for you to engage and dwell deeper with God. And so when you are ready, come and partake in communion and celebrate Jesus. Or go for prayer or however you want. May this time be fruitful for you.